Listening Dog Media. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The Offside Rule We Get It is brought to you by Continental Tyres. Hello and welcome to the Offside Rule podcast. You have the three amigos, myself, Kate Borsay and Lindsay Hooper, just bringing you half an hour's worth of just unbelievable entertainment. Girls. <laughs> You've really picked us up there now. Um, have you got some jokes, Kate? Have you? <laughs> I haven't got any jokes. I've got some nice stories for you. But uh, yes, I'm, I'm trying to think what would be unbelievable, but it's just it's just nice to hear from three ladies of the football world, isn't it? <laughs> and that's what we are. And we're going to be talking actually about some very current topics over the last week and kind of putting our own twist on things as we already do. The topics are Hipster United stuttering start we'll tell you about what that means in a moment but we start with player poacher after Chelsea swooped in and took Pedro under the nose of Ed Woodward of Manchester United and basically made sure that he came to Chelsea instead of the Reds of Manchester and how do you feel about this because everyone knows who listens you're a big Manchester United fan how do you feel about that? Everything happens for a reason. If he wanted to be with his buddy Fabregas, mm. fine. He chose Chelsea. If his heart wasn't in Manchester, he'll soon see who will be coming out on top. Did you hear about the stealth way that Chelsea approached this? As soon as there were little utterances that he may not be happy with going to Manchester United, Operation Pedro kicked in, according to the Telegraph. And they had Fabregas's partner approaching Pedro's partner. They had one of the um, senior directors at the club um, fly out to speak to Pedro to whisper a few words in his ear. So basically, Chelsea launched an all-out assault um, using... Fabregas and his partner to their full potential. And on the back of that, we've now heard some absurd rumours to do with Manchester United and where they are actually going to splash the cash. Mm. Uh, We're recording this way before transfer deadline day, so there's still some days to business to be done. And the big rumour, and I have to say for the first time, I I actually laughed out loud at the radio when I was listening to this phone call because TalkSport were revealing that now Manchester United in the running for Neymar. So Neymar's name 
names yeah, being mentioned. Yeah. Um, only like one of the biggest strikers in the world. And a caller came on who obviously was not a Manchester United fan, but I have to say had me in fits of hysterics because he said, trying to get Neymar. I'm going to try and pull Rihanna, but we're not all going to get it, are we? <laughs> um, so I thought that was a really good way of summing up the fact that this is probably not going to happen unless you have some inside scoop, Hayley McQueen. Well, look at Peter Crouch and Abigail Clancy. He's punching mm. above his weight and he managed to do it and he's only, what, Stoke? <laughs> well, look at Shakiri and Stoke. I mean, that's a pretty unbelievable capture, isn't it? Exactly. Right, so that's going to be our first topic. We will move on after that to stuttering starts we're going to be looking at the teams at the bottom of the championship league one and league two who could potentially be in trouble those who have not got off to a good start and maybe surprising and a manager that we think might be out of a job because of those bad starts i'm going to look at league two kate is going to take a look at league one and Lindsay, your focus is on the championship there's also as well a team on kate's doorstep Hipster United. We love the story about Dulwich Hamlet FC, which should just be called Hipster United. Now, I have to vouch for Kate Borsay here because Hayley sent round the topics this week and said, this hipster team and Kate, they're on your doorstep. Kate Borsay has been talking about Dulwich Hamlets to me in my ear for numerous weeks. You talked to me about this at the World Cup, didn't you? Yeah, I've spoken about it for months because um, I went to check out my local team at uh, Champion Hill and was so taken aback by the support, by by the age of the support. Terrific amount of youth there, girls and guys and families too, but just the just the youth support trendy young Dulwichites and Peckhamites are there um, and you can buy a local craft beer and I mean it sounds, you know, Someone up in Doncaster's going, oh, this sounds unbelievably poncy. Um, but it's not. It's got a really good vibe to it. Um, uh, it's, it's a really good side. I've been pestering you to come and see them. So we are currently trying to organise an offside rule trip to Dulwich Hamlet. She has been pestering me as well, because the truth about it is she's been a good friend and she was uh, telling me there were lots of hot guys there. Yeah. That is what was going on. So we've arranged to go and see the team in just a couple of weeks' time. So we're actually going to look at other clubs from the lower leagues and around the world, actually, who have a bit of cult status. The female take on football. So, girls, let's talk about delving into the past where big-name players or just a big news story looked like a player was on track for joining one club and at the last minute changes his mind or something happens and signs for another I have done the big breaking news back in 2008 was the one that first sprung to mind. But should we perhaps start with one of you two? I always go first because, you know, <laughs> ladies first, age, age before beauty and all that. All about me. Oh, God. So, Linz, hit us with who you have. I've gone for a theme here. Because you set this topic using Chelsea as the example. And we have another team in the Premier League that nickname is the magpies and what do magpies do they steal other things and you're thinking that I'm going down the route of talking about Newcastle but I'm not I'm just saying that Chelsea should be called the magpies because I'm going to give you a theme of all hijacked deals that Chelsea have Mm. stolen I've got loads of them so we probably can't get through all of them um let's do a Russian roulette from one to six shout out a number four Number four, Arsenal wanted Juan Mata back in 2011. They put a club record offer of £18 million for the Valencia midfielder at the time. It was turned down. They wanted more. Chelsea swooped in £23.5 million and he signed a five-year contract. What other number would you like, Hayley? My lucky number two. 
Number two, uh, well, Chelsea also went for Willian, which you'll remember when he was set to go to Spurs. That occasion, Abramovich used his links, his Russian connections. He phoned the owner at Anzi, who's Suleiman Karimov. Um, and even though, even though Willian had had a medical at Spurs, mm. the £30 million target joined Chelsea, said he wanted to go there instead. That was number two. What, how many more do you want? By the way, he also turned down Liverpool, Willian. Oh, yeah. Mm. Pitching in with that. Mm. Um, any more numbers? What surprise he turned down Liverpool. <laughs> what about uh, four? You've had four. Oh, God. Five. Five. Iron Robin. Um, met Sir Alex Ferguson. You'll know this, Hayley. Um, in London in 2003, they had a meeting. PSV turned down what they thought was a real cheeky offer. I think they said you wouldn't get that for his autograph. Five million pounds. Oh. Chelsea thought, you know what? That was a bit cheeky. We'll up it. 12.1 million. Then he won back-to-back titles with the Blues. Ooh. Well, I've actually got one where Chelsea lost out on a player to the new money boys, Manchester City, back in 2008. It was the final day of the Premier League summer transfer window and Rubinho moved to City for £33 million, signed on a four-year deal. It was actually the same day that the club was bought out by the Arab investment company Abu Dhabi United Group. So they were taken over. They had new money. Um, He had been linked with Chelsea all summer. There were even selling shirts with his name on it. But it was literally minutes into the transfer window. I was on air that night with Jim and I remember it well. It all happened. It was big breaking news. Uh, Where is he now? He's playing in China. (laughs) Yeah, they definitely dodged a bullet there, didn't they? On that same day, by the way, City lost out. So they gained with Rubinho, but they lost out to Manchester United, who successfully outbid City for Berbatov. Mm, There you go. Liverpool. They have the worst luck when it comes to being, just like Spurs, really, uh, when it comes to being usurped by um, a player for a better club, in inverted commas. Um, You mentioned Willian, Gilfie Sigurdsson. We got duffed for him as well. Mohamed Salah, another Chelsea player. Um, But he uh, was very close to joining Liverpool. That didn't happen and Chelsea popped up instead. I'll leave the Chelsea ones out because you've probably got more of those, Lindsay. Shall I go back in time to talk about Gaza? There's a quite a famous Gaza story, but I love it, so I'm going to repeat it. So you know that Manchester United came really, really close, and that's probably one of Ferguson's big regrets. Yeah, he always says that, doesn't he, in interviews now. He's like, what is your biggest regret? And that is absolutely mm. it. And he thinks that not just he was missing out on a great player, but I think he thought he could potentially be the man that yeah. could help him from all his problems and strife. Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, he was sat behind us, wasn't he, recently, Kate? He was. Did we mention this on another podcast no. or not? No. Um, he was sat behind us at the Community Shield. He us. <laughs> <laughs> and we tried to get a photo, but we did one of those, like, you know, when you just get a bit kind of polite and really you should just... And, and it's unlike me, to be honest, to stand back. You tiptoed. You, you I tip-toed did, I did. Much. I tiptoed, a bit like some clubs, and I lost out on the photo <laughs> of Gaza. Um, <laughs> um, so let's go back to Gaza. Um, now, Sir Alex thought the deal was done. He was going off on holiday and he said to Gaza, I'll see you at the training ground when I'm back. Mm. Because things didn't move as quickly in those days, but they did for Paul Gascoigne. As he was driving uh, to Manchester, this is how Gaza reports it, uh, he gets a call from the chairman of Tottenham who says, Paul, we'll give you two and a half grand a week. Not only that, we'll buy your dad a house. So apparently Gascoigne said, uh, uh, Mum and Dad, Spurs are going to buy us a house. What do you think? Sounds good, says Gaza's dad. So uh, Gaza said, all right then. Um, Going a bit further, the dad calls back Gaza and says, "Mm, it does sound like a good deal, but can I have a car as well? And so... 
Gaza said, all right, well, I'm going to speak to the chairman again. So he spoke to um, Irving Scholar, the, ch- the chairman at that time, and said... I'll accept, but can my dad have a BMW with a private number plate, please? Yeah, I'm sure we can sort that out, say Spurs. So, of course, Spurs sorted that out. Not only that, Gazza also thought, hang on a minute, I'm onto a good thing here. What else can I ask for? It wasn't him that asked. It was his sister who piped up in the background and said, can I have a sunbed as well? Back in the days when they were all the thing. So, with private reg BMW number plate in his dad's car, with a house uh, for him and his parents, and with the sunbed, Paul Gascoigne joined Spurs. It's like an episode of The Generation Game. <laughs> Did they have a speedboat as well? A teddy bear. <laughs> a big one. Um, John Obi McKell was announced on Manchester United's website in 2005. He even has a picture at a press conference with him wearing a Manchester United shirt, but revealed later that he always wanted to go to Chelsea, had second thoughts, and he left Lynn Oslo. And Chelsea actually ended up paying compensation to United and to Lynn as well. Well, United signed him for four million quid from Lynn, and then uh, Chelsea bid 12 million. So actually, Man United gained massively from this deal because from what I remember they bought him for 4 million Chelsea bought him off United for 12 million so um, Lynn Oslo were the ones to miss out really I guess I guess Uh, two more Lloyd Remy to Arsenal but ended up at Chelsea. That was an £8 million deal quite recently. Uh, Finally, um, Petr Cech. I thought I'd bring this one up because people might have forgotten that Petr Cech was actually an Arsenal target originally. Mm. So go back to 2002, first time round, and Wenger actually passed up the chance to sign him because of some work permit issues. Went back in again in 2004 thinking, oh, I might have made an error there. I'm going to go and get him. And Chelsea then beat him to it. So Czech now ending up at Arsenal comes around full circle. But it was them that went in for him at the very start. Thank you very much for rounding all that up. Let's hope that there's more excitement to come on Transfer Deadline Day. And the next podcast or the weeks after that, we'll be looking back and digging into this transfers for our future stories. By the way, we'll be covering Transfer Deadline Day and our usual legendary style we don't like to blow our own trumpet much daily um, but we do cover transfer deadline day very well so get on at offside rule pod and we're trying to create something of a transport departure and arrival board for the website uh, go on to offside rule podcast.com on the day to find out if we've cracked it it does look fantastic and I'll try and chip in myself because I'm on transfer deadline day duty reporting I have no idea which ground I'm going to be outside I'm taking a punt that it's going to be Watford or Arsenal, I think, because that seems to be where I'm being sent a lot this season. Um, But yeah, who knows where I'll be. I was at QPR the last time and then the next day, Harry Redknapp resigned. He saw you and thought, this is what I have to face every week. (laughs) I'm out of here. Especially after you see me with my face stuffed with the bacon and egg sandwich that they bring out in the morning. Yeah, Yeah, it wasn't a pretty sight. Hi, I'm Jeff Stelling and you're listening to The Offside Rule. Three women talking about football... I'm used to listening to four old women talking about football on Saturday afternoons, so I definitely prefer this. Talking of pretty sights, the fans at our favourite hipster United, Dulwich Hamlet FC. We're going to move on to this topic next to talk about some of the cooler clubs in the lower leagues and how they've managed to gain a bit of a cult status. I was going to say groovy cool. That's just not very cool, is it? Um <laughs> The one I found, I'd, I have heard of them before and I was trying to remember where I'd heard of them because they don cross and skull bones oh. as, their, as their flag and their club emblem. And they are called St. Pauli. It might be Pauli, but I think it's Pauli, German team. They were actually promoted um, to the Bundesliga a good few years ago, but they have been down 
sort of in the bottoms of the leagues. They have been existent since 1910, so they've been around quite a, quite a while. But they hail from the red light district. The club has a very unique progressive spirit. They said it's not about the money, it's about a lifestyle. So since the 1980s, loads of punks and squatters filled the terraces, which is quite cool. Yeah, the club's apparently now trying to balance its ethos with the realities of modern football. So it's got notorious black and white standard, this this skull and crossbones. It's all very dark, all very cool. It's a working class district and this is how they like this is how they like it. Another little fact about St Pauling as we're calling them um that they boast one of the biggest female fan bases in world football so big up to them uh because of their anti-racist, anti-homophobic and anti-sexist nature. Yeah that's right and hopefully lots of other clubs will follow suit but it could be quite some time but you're right and and I quite like this as well. The, St. Pauli, in 2006, hosted a World Cup for unrecognised nations. That's oh. right. So they invited the likes of Tibet to come along and chance to raise their flags for independence. Oh. So there you have it. They even arranged a friendly with Cuba to show solidarity with Fidel Castro. I'm going to go with Portland Thorns in the US um, women's football team that have got a huge mass following. So I've chosen these because if you think of the United States and the new league since it launched, Portland as a state in general has got a huge soccer following because their their men's team do brilliantly. They've got a 10,000 waiting list for the for the Portland men's team. Um, they've got a nickname, actually. I think they're called the Timbers, Portland Timbers. Um, there's a 10,000 waiting list to get a season ticket to watch the Timbers. And then the Portland Thorns have got week in, week out, an average crowd of around 15,000 watching women's football, which is in excess of anything else around the world that can compete. They actually um, filled the stadium, the Providence Park Stadium, 20,000-seater um, after the World Cup. Mm, wow. Isn't that the home of Nike as well? I think Nike actually are in Portland, Oregon. Oh, That's why yes, when it's yeah, one of the are. coolest yeah. places yeah. that you can be because all the hipsters are rocking yeah. it out with their ahead of the, the time yeah. sports gear. There you go. You're just verifying that I've had a very good choice here in the cool stakes. Mm. Jodie Taylor, of course, plays for Portland Thorns. She's pretty cool. She is pretty cool, as is Leanne Sanderson. She oh. moved to Portland Thorns from Arsenal um, just after the World Cup. As uh, does Alex Morgan. As does Alex Morgan, but with Leanne's sort of cool haircut, I can imagine she fits right in there. Just to round off as well, I thought I'd mention that the, the really astonishing thing about this, because you can get in and you can be cool too, because it's not too late. Because you know if you're too late joining the club, then suddenly you're not cool. But it's not too late, because this club, it's not even been going two years. Oh. So Portland Thorns aren't even two years old. The actual new women's soccer league in the States isn't two years old. And so to get over 15,000 mm. as a crowd is a huge feat. So get in on the action. If you're over in the States, go and take in a game and get that atmosphere. Now, when you're a youngster, right, and you're thinking about a cool football club to support or to follow, you might think about who your older sister supports or who your older brother supports. Maybe they're cool because someone older than you or your brother's mates support them, and so they automatically become cool, don't they? But for me, my very local football club um, became a rite of passage. This became something highly associated with coolness in my youth, not because of the actual team, but because you hadn't made it onto the social scene until, as a 13-year-old, you'd attended regularly Morton Town's Friday Night Football Club discos. <laughs> that made Morton Town FC the epitome of cool to me as a first... I had my first kiss there. You know what? I've got such a story with this as well. One of my first boyfriends played for Gornal Athletic, which was our local team. And our first kiss, I was shoved under the, head the floodlights. Oh. Headlights. <laughs> <laughs> well, dangerous. Yeah. 
He didn't really want to do it. <laughs> Shoved under the headlights as his mum's Renault revved up. <laughs> well, talking of that's my son. <laughs> talking of which, funnily enough, I had my first kiss in the glare of my mother's headlights <laughs> because I was running out of time to have this first kiss with a young boy named Stephen and we were stood outside the club and it was a bit awkward and I was we were we were really needed to, yeah this is this is just a Friday night football club disco we were desperate to have our first kiss well kind of but we were skirting around the we issue and then when I saw my mum's Astra drive up towards the football club I was like right come here Stephen we're having this kiss whether you like it or not and we carried on kissing until the glare of my mum's headlights stopped us to him like you're a character in Coronation Street. Come here, Stephen. <laughs> so, look, it was the epitome of court. We all jumped around to House of Pain. We sat down to James. It was that age when we were dancing our little hearts out. We, we also did karaoke there as well. Um, um, uh, another overriding memory is, is fiddling around with those poppers at the bottom of bodysuits, you know, in the oh, kind of undercarriage. You said bodysuits. <laughs> undercarriage bit of your bodysuits. Remember when bodies came in and everyone wore a body and a pair of jeans? We just couldn't get the hang of those in the football club toilets because it was so dark in there. Because the, and the toilets were rank as well. Anyway, it's quite a sad ending to Morton Town FC because the club had. To- didn't shut the disco down. <laughs> What? <laughs> they they actually did shut the disco after about six months. Was I think some underage drinking was was uh, was found to be had there. Although I can't qualify that, but I, <laughs> oh yeah, that's what you can qualify. <laughs> <laughs> that's what the Evesham Journal alluded to, anyway. <laughs> but um, but but yes, quite quite a sad end. And that the um, clubhouse and the pavilion went um, into a state of disrepair. It was vandalised. And, and I found a bit of a news report just very quickly <laughs> about what happened. <laughs> did the graffiti say Kate and Steve was here <laughs> in? love forever <laughs> no no I, no never graffitied idst if destroyed still true <laughs> so these vandals they were particularly naughty they shattered photos of old teams they tried to light fires they ripped the pool tables green bays and broke into the locker room so the report goes cupboards were ransacked and youth kits were strewn about plant pots broken strip lighting smashed and a vacuum cleaner broken and hurled on the floor the hooligans also fouled the freezer hooligans the 13 year old hooligans <laughs> I don't know whether they were 13 but, but that's a sad end for Morton Tanity but they were reborn reincarnated as Morton Rangers but they'll always be a special place in my heart <laughs> for Morton Town FC. Follow us on Twitter at Offside Rule Pod and like our page on Facebook. Simply type in the Offside Rule We Get In. There's only one of us. Right, let's whiz through our final topic and look at actually teams who aren't doing very well at the moment. So let's head to you, Lindsay, for your championship roundup or a selected team or manager. Well, this one came to me fairly quickly because on Saturday I was reporting from Fulham at Craven Cottage, home game versus Huddersfield Town. Now, Fulham, I went there with all grand expectations Mm. because although I knew they hadn't had their first win of the season, I think it's about time Fulham started to progress through the championship and really fight to be amongst the promoted teams again and and fighting to get back into the Premier League. I think that's how the supporters feel. And judging by the performance on Saturday, they are way, way, way off that. I would be worried for Fulham at the moment. You talked about wanting to know about a manager who might be in trouble. I'd say Kit Simons is going to be that manager. I think he's in trouble. I know that the fans around me on Saturday were calling for his head already. Um, I know that a lot of the downfall of Fulham was down to people like Felix Magat and a couple of managers before that. I 
think a lot of people have talked about ever since Martin Yarl went in, really, since Roy Hodgson, when it was the glory days, Fulham have slowly been on a demise. They lost Danny Murphy as captain and it seemed like slowly little bits have, have just clipped away at their confidence, at at the club generally in terms of support as well. You looked around the stadium and there were half empty, you know, stands. It was it was really a shock. Sad, yeah. yeah, really sad. So I think they they obviously need to get a win under their belt. Where it's going to come from, I don't know. The one thing I will say is from watching that game, no team in the championship is going to fear going to Craven Cottage at mm. all. It does not feel like they're playing like the home side. It took them so long to get into that game on Saturday. It was Huddersfield who took the lead. They got a very, very late equaliser, which they were lucky to get. And I just think that they, they need to start bossing and dominating and taking a game to their opposition especially when they're at home I know that their away form hasn't been great either because lots of people when I tweeted at the weekend jumped on the back and tweeted me and said look it isn't just their home form it's it's the all-round form it's such a shame you know from the time of them being in the Premier League I think they've had enough time now to start to turn it around so Fulham are the team that I've chosen to mention as having a lack of quality really in front of goal but they really need to get their acting gear but I will also in the championship give a quick mention as well to Blackburn who currently are in the bottom three they've only got two points they're yet to have a win as well and um, Gary Bowyer's side who've always performed pretty well I mean they've always been mid-table or thereabouts and you'd think that they would be kicking on to go for playoffs and promotion I actually thought they had a fighting chance this season of being a team that were up there doing it I'm going to say that I still think in this case there's, there's cause for optimism I think they've got the team they've got the quality in the squad that they still could kick on so Blackburn I'll have a word of optimism I think they can turn things around Fulham I'm going to say something needs to happen there quick okay I'm going to look at obviously League 2 and I'm going to focus on Dagenham and Redbridge they're absolutely rock bottom I could have gone for Newport County because obviously newly promoted to uh, the league just over a season ago having spent was it 72 years out of the football league something like that and Luton as well how the I was going to say the mighty have fallen, not quite the mighty, but how teams have just dropped down to the bottom, all in the bottom three. Luton, however, do have points. Dagenham and Redbridge have just the one point. They had their goal scorer of the last game. They were 1-0 up, sent off in the 77th minute, then conceded in the 90th minute. They were en route to their first points of the season following three defeats. They have conceded goals aplenty. When you look at the results so far, they lost 3-0 away at Portsmouth in the opening game of the season. They then had a bit of a tough match against Charlton, which was at the Valley in the Capital One Cup, conceded four. They did score, but out of the Cup competition. They lost back-to-back home games against Leighton Orient and then Exeter as well. They didn't manage to score goals, so they, they do have that about them. However, big problem for them at the moment. Who'd have thought it? Two players in League Two being called up for international duty. So for a couple of weeks, they're going to have to do without two of their key players. Andre Bukop and Jack Connors, they've been called up by the respective countries. Um, Connors um, for Republic of Ireland. He's in the under-21 squad for a friendly with Qatar. It's the big one. And uh, Andre Bukant as well for uh, Trinidad and Tobago. They're away at Mexico on September the 4th of International Weekend. And of course, they have training camps building up to that as well. Now, the manager in charge at the moment guided them to safety last season. And um, they finished ninth in the table, actually. So they were set for another mid-table finish. They looked sort of 
never a team to be pushing for promotion, but there are thereabouts finishing at least in the top 10 or maybe even higher than last season, higher than ninth would have been an achievement. Um, he's had a bit of a nightmare. The chairman said, oh, I'm going to have my faith in you. He's given him a contract until the summer of 2017. And that would mark the 10 year anniversary of Dagenham's promotion to the Football League. So it won't be very good, will it? If unfortunately they continue with their troubles that they're having in the start of this season and um, aren't even in the Football League by 2017. Who knows what's going to happen? Um, yeah, the, the chairman had said, hopefully we've got Burnett. It's going to take us forward into our 10th season. Uh, but at the moment, unfortunately, they're just um, they're having a bit of a mare. And it's one of those sides that you just did not expect to be down there. And you expected them. They've got real good goal-scoring quality up there as well for a League 2 side to be scoring goals. They just cannot score. And unfortunately, rock bottom, minus six on goal difference already. So, yeah, things aren't looking great. God, I feel like I'm going to add another level of depression to this podcast when talking about League One. I had a look at the four teams at the bottom of League One as we record this. Southend, Bradford, Colchester uh, down there at the moment. Southend, well, look, they're struggling in League One, but they've only just been promoted there. So I'd expect to give them or them to need a bit of time to adjust. Bradford, not overly worried about Bradford. Phil Parkinson, very experienced. He knows what he needs to do. He needed to bring in some reinforcements and they're all adjusting. So I'm not worried about them. Colchester, just not getting good enough results. They're very experienced in League One. So again, not overly concerned about them. The team at the bottom though, I am really concerned about and it's not just what's happening on the field, it's what's happening off the field. There's something of a revolt going on in Blackpool. No big lights, ladies, not at all. Things are not looking good. 2010, 2011, they're in the Premier League. Right now, they're at the bottom of League One. And when we look at clubs spiralling down the leagues, and we can think of a few examples, Wolves! Um, um, excuse but, me. But they are recovering. They are recovering, Wolves. Recovering? Recovered? Well, We're it depends, depends where you mark your success, doesn't it? I think everyone should aim for the top, Lindsay, personally. It's going to get more Why difficult, have, isn't it? Well, uh, anyway, back to Blackpool. Um, they're without a competitive win since January, without a victory away from Bloomfield Road since April 2014. The stats do not look good. Blackpool manager Neil McDonald, he's been in charge since the beginning of the season. Uh, Lee Clark couldn't do anything there last season. He resigned at the end of last season when they were relegated. He had a really poor win percentage, actually, so it all went wrong for him there as well. Neil McDonald says there's lots of lots of optimism at the club, but I guess he's got to say that, but I'm not hearing it from anywhere else. The fans are not happy. At the end of last season, there was a pitch invasion. They got charged for that and told to make sure that they be on their best behaviour from, from now on. So that's not good for the club. If anything happens there, then they could be in trouble in terms of having to play a, a game behind closed doors or perhaps um, penalties in terms of points. It's an absolute travesty and a team that not so long ago under Ian Holloway was in the top flight and had Premier League football to be in this state. It's been badly managed, badly run. There's been good money at that football club. What has happened there? And it actually risks Blackpool not existing as a football mm. team. It really does. I think they are the next... I would say they are the big team to watch that could potentially mm. go out of business altogether. And no wonder there are protests by the fans because what has happened to their poor club is unjustifiable. I don't think anyone can say how they've let this happen. I think someone really should be accountable. 
Well, there was an attempted takeover by the um, Blackpool Supporters Trust and Owen Oyston, um, the uh, father of Carl, reacted really angrily to that and, and issued a statement saying, look, I have put money into this club. I didn't buy it for a pound. I bought it for a lot more. I've invested a lot more money. So there's there's a huge fallout, really, and, and I'm not going to... But who handled it? Who well, handled the Premier League parachute payments? Who, who looked mm-hmm. after that? Who made sure that there was a full squad in place for the start of every season when they've, you know, been threadbare. And and getting rid of managers as well and knowing you need to pay them off and... and, and Yeah, making silly signings. Yeah. Yeah. I think that they've definitely made a few errors. The fans aren't happy. You can say a lot about the Oysters and they've done a lot for the club, but at the same time, they are part of the reason why the club are in such dire straits at the moment. A Twitter account affiliated with the club issued expletives back to back in a tweet um, to a fan who asked them a question. So they're angry and Blackpool have distanced themselves from that, but just bad PR after bad PR. And as Ian Holloway pointed out at the weekend, you know, you have to have a reason as a player why you'd want to go to a club and why would you want to go to Blackpool at the moment? That You know, they're just not capable of attracting anyone. The fan's not just unhappy with uh, Neil McDonald, uh, the manager, but Neil Diamond. Too. Oh, yes, because uh, Blackpool decided it was a great idea to hold a Neil Diamond concert at the stadium just three weeks before the start of the season. Fans not happy about that either. So, yeah, Blackpool, not good stuff at the moment. Were, were they unruly Neil Diamond's supporters? <laughs> did, did they leave the pitch in a state? I can't imagine all those 60-odd-year-olds uh, leaving all their mess behind. Was it uh, Every single Neil Diamond fan's fallen out with you now. I expect that there are tranches of them listening to this podcast right now too. Right, what is good is our web website and our Twitter. There are no expletives there. Everything is uh, perfectly run, up to date and uh, yeah, 24-7 you can pretty much follow all of the news on there of our podcast. We have blogs, columns, European football, there's the Offside Daily. Um, We used to feature Twitter topic of the week of course in our podcast. We occasionally delve in and bring that back to life on the website as well. Uh, Some of the features you can see online, five of the things that we've learned of the week. There's Manchester United needing attacking reinforcements and Jack Butland, who I have in my fantasy football team, I'm very pleased to say, highlighted on our website because we have tipped in to be a future England number one. Or have we? Go and have a read of the article. Um, Premier League predictions as well. We'll have a really good roundup of all the transfers too. And mentioning fantasy football there in a first podcast of the season, we, of course, made a debut's 11 and we had a hat-trick scorer in there, didn't we, Kate? Callum Wilson, yeah, very good there for New Boys United. Um, yeah, we, we've had some, we've had, actually, we've been performing above average in terms of typical fantasy football teams, which is not bad considering they're all debutants. Mm. So there you go. Well, thank you very much, Kate, for letting me host and Lindsay as well for, you know, coming round to my flat and just entertaining me. Um, but from the three bits of sweetness and light that you have oh. here, it's a uh, goodbye for now. The Offside Rule We Get It is brought to you by Continental Tyres. Sports Social Podcast Network. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.